Would you stand with us as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior? Jesus has rolled back the stone. He's walked out of the grave, and he is alive. And because of that, we get to spend eternity with him.
So good. Hey, feel free to grab a seat. Happy Easter, church. How are we doing today? Come on, man. Hey, whether you're joining us here in person or online today, we're excited to celebrate the best Sunday of the year where Jesus put death in its grave. So, man, we are so glad 
you are here today. In fact, if you would do me a favor and just connect with us, let us know that you are here. If you've been here a while, you probably have the North Point app, so pop that open for us and click right where it says the virtual connect card. Fill that out real quick just to help us know you're here. If this is your first time or you're new-ish, you can still check in with us by texting the word guest to 833-CHAT-NCC. We'll send that same form back to you. It's really short. We're not going to spam you. We just want to say hello, so be sure to check that out. Send that our way. You can also download the North Point, North Point app by texting the word app to 833-CHAT-NCC. We'll send a link to you uh, either at the Google Play or the iTunes Store and have that as well. Hey, uh, next week we are going to start a brand new series. We're ending our current series today, but next week we are starting a new series uh, that is old school teaching that still matters. So check that out next week. Come join us. We're going to dive in the Old Testament. It's going to be great. Totally worth it to be a part of. Uh, one thing that we want to do today is we want to worship through our giving. We do this every week, and we do it recognizing that God is the one who provides for us. He defeats death. He takes care of our needs. He brings us closer to him. And so one of the ways that we worship is through our giving. And you can do that in a bunch of different ways. Uh, if you have a cash or check, there's boxes in the back. You can give on the North Point app as well, or simply by texting the word give to 833-CHAT-NCC. We'll send a link to you there. But we would encourage, man, don't just do it uh, habitually, but just recognize that, man, when we do that, it is an act of worship. That it is saying, hey, God, you are my provider. You are the one that I love. You are the one that I value more than anything else. So take a second, do that right now, as we're going to jump into the word here this morning. Good morning. Christ is risen. Oh, Christ is risen. Yeah, for 2,000 years, the church has been saying that, and that's just such a cool truth. Hey, if you're watching at home, we are glad that you're here, glad that you're a part of what's going on. If you're here in the house, we're glad that you're here too. Uh, it's really cool to celebrate Easter together, right? However, I gotta tell you, if I'm really honest this morning, I'm worn out. Um, uh, really, I'm, I'm worn out. The kind of, you know, I, I could go home, go to bed, put the covers over my head, have no more monkeys jumping on the bed, you know, that, that, <laughs> that, that kind of worn out. Um, why am I worn out? Uh, probably for the same reason you are. Not because I stayed up and watched the basketball game last night. Not because I binge-watched WandaVision this week. Um, not because I worked out in the yard. Not because not of too many Zoom meetings. I'm just worn out because for the last 14 months, we have been battling an enemy that we can't see or touch. That we don't know where it is. We know it's out there and that it's going to try and get us. We know that that enemy has sucked the life out of families and friendships and brought this sense of dread to all of us. It's sucked the life out of us. That enemy has, has permeated every newscast, every sporting event, every holiday, every family gathering, every trip to the restaurant. I'm just worn out. But if there's any comfort in that confession, 
it's this. I'm not alone, right? We're not alone. We're not the only ones to carry that burden. We're not the only ones who want to run from our circumstances that we exist in right now. What do you think it was like for the followers of Jesus? 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes into the capital city and the town comes out to celebrate um, his entrance into the city as he rides in on a donkey on, the, on that Sunday. Four days later, Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples, a, a, a holy holiday, a, a, a time of tradition that, that the disciples had celebrated since the time that they were young children, remembering what God had done in the past. Um, but that night was different for Jesus and the disciples. That night, Jesus washed their feet. That night, as they celebrated the Passover, Jesus said, somebody's gonna betray me. That night, when it was done, when the Passover meal was done, Jesus taught with an intensity like he had never taught before, telling his disciples um, over and over again the things that mattered to him most. And then when he was done, they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. The disciples fell asleep. And then everything blew up. A crowd comes, and Jesus wakes the disciples as he hears them coming. And as they, as they pour the sleep out of their eyes, as they go through that whole process, they're not sure what to do. In their fatigue, they lose their bearings. They get scared, and they move into fight-or-flight mode. Peter takes out his sword. He's ready to defend Jesus. Jesus instead, though, says, settle down talks to the mob, and when he talks to the mob, he says, I'm the one that you're looking for. And the mob temporarily just stops talking and, and, and falls down. They're surprised at Jesus' directness. They regain themselves. They regain their fury, their, their anger, and they take Jesus away and march him away in a, in a, in a walking paddy wagon to the house of Caiaphas. Um, you know what the disciples do in that moment? the guys who have seen Jesus supernaturally feed thousands of people, supernaturally walk on water, supernaturally, instantaneously heal people who are blind or crippled, who are epileptic. They've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. You know what they do? They, they panic. They get scared. They run for their lives. Mark describes what happens in the garden as the crowd comes this way, uh, the crowd comes and Jesus says to them, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, but you didn't arrest me. The scriptures had to be fulfilled though. Then everyone, meaning the disciples, everyone deserted him and fled a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. They, when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. What made the disciples cut and run? They were scared. They were tired. They were emotionally exhausted. They were threatened. There, were, there was a crowd there with swords, with torches, with clubs. They'd just been woken from a deep sleep. But most of all, they were just worn out. So it was either fight or flight, and they chose flight. You know, we're not all that different from the disciples. When the pressure is on, when we're backed against the wall, 
when we're worn out, our normal reaction is to run. We run from our problems. We run from our responsibilities. We run from the consequences of past decisions. We often run from horrible things that have happened to us in the past. And we run to just escape it all. We don't always run physically, right? Sometimes we run to the refrigerator. Sometimes we run to Amazon to see what we can buy. Sometimes we run to Netflix or Prime. Or we run to the casino or to alcohol or to drugs that will numb our minds. Sometimes we run to relationships that are physical, but anything but intimate. Some of us even run to exercise. But here's the thing, running away never works. It didn't work for the disciples, and it doesn't work for us. Because when you stop running, no matter what avenue it is that you take to escape, when you stop running, those things that you were running from catch up. They're still there. They still have to be dealt with. And when we run away, most often we run away from the solution as well. When we look back on the story of Jesus' arrest, we're able to clearly see from this perspective what the solution was to the disciples' fear. It was Jesus, right? What was the solution to that sense of loss that they experienced as they realized, have we just wasted the last three years of our life? The solution was Jesus. What was the fix for their anxiety, for, for, for their uncertainty? It was Jesus. But the disciples were worn out. And when you're worn out, you can't think straight. You can't process information clearly. You can't make sense of what's right in front of you. Let me just set up the events that lead up to that first Easter. That first Easter, that Thursday night in the garden, Jesus is there praying. The crowd comes. They arrest him. They, they, they take Jesus to Caiaphas' house. And there in Caiaphas' house, they have kind of the first trial where the religious leaders try to decide what they're going to do with Jesus. They beat him up. They rough him up. They ask him questions that Jesus doesn't respond to. And finally, those religious leaders make the decision that they're going to, have, they're going to try and have Jesus executed. So early in the morning, they take Jesus and they go to Pilate, who's the Roman governor of the, of the area of Judea. Pilate listens and talks to Jesus and he decides, you know what, there's not anything that Jesus deserves to be killed for. But he doesn't want to release him and he doesn't, want to execute him, so he's not sure what to do until he discovers that Jesus is from Galilee. And so he says, oh, I'm going to send him to the governor of Galilee. So he sends him to Herod. Herod has a trial for Jesus as well. And Herod says, I don't, I don't want to execute him. I don't want to let him go. I'm sending him back to Pilate. And Jesus is then taken by the guards back to Pilate. Where When they come to Pilate, it's somewhere between 8 and 9 in the morning. And the word has circulated through the city of Jerusalem that, that, uh, of what's happening. And this crowd, this crowd descends on Pilate's palace. And, and a mob develops there that ultimately calls for Jesus' life. Um, the, the religious leaders, they prime the crowd. Pilate reluctantly gives in. Jesus is severely beaten, and he's taken to a hill outside of town, nailed to a cross, and left to die. Somewhere around noon, 
In the middle of the day, the sky goes dark. And by three o'clock in the afternoon, it's all over. An earthquake happens. And two of Jesus' followers come to take Jesus' body off the cross and lay it in a family tomb. As dusk falls, all of the Jews in Jerusalem begin to celebrate Sabbath, the Sabbath day on Friday night. I'm guessing that their day of rest was not very restful because of what they'd seen and experienced and their fear over the earthquake and the darkness that that they had uh, experienced that day. Like I said, when you're worn out, you can't think straight. You can't process information clearly. You can't really make sense of what's right in front of you. That was true of the followers of Jesus. John describes it this way. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. John is writing about himself in that. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. When you read that, there's lots of running, right? On Thursday night, the disciples are running away from Jesus. Everybody's running from the mob. On Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene runs to Peter and John. Peter and John run to the tomb and they all discover that the tomb is empty. When you're worn out, you can't think clearly. Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John saw the stone rolled away. They saw Jesus' grave clothes folded up neatly on the stone slab. And Jesus was nowhere to be seen. They couldn't make any sense of it. John says, in retrospect, years later, he says about himself, he saw and believed. But I've got to question the depth of his belief because what did Peter and John do? They go back to the house where they're staying. If you think that there's any possibility that Jesus is alive, what are you going to do and where are you going to go? You're going to run all over the city of Jerusalem trying to find Jesus, right? What are you going to do back at the house? Hunt for jelly beans? Uh, you know that, Why are they there? We know Mary is confused because John describes it. Now Mary st- stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, 
but she didn't realize it was Jesus. When you're worn out, you can't make sense of what's right in front of you. Jesus was right there, and Mary Magdalene didn't realize it. She couldn't fathom it. She didn't even think it was possible. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried, away, carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I'll go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, Jesus, she turned to him and cried out in, in Aramaic, Rabboni, my Lord, my God, which means teacher. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told him these things that, that, uh, that he had said these things to her. By the middle of the morning, that Sunday morning, the guards have begun to circulate this story that the disciples came and stole the body from, from the tomb. The disciples know that that's not true, but they're not sure what to believe. Mary Magdalene's come and talk to them. Simon Peter, Simon, uh, Peter and, and John have told them that they saw the empty tomb, but they still can't make any sense of it. They're, they can't comprehend that their rabbi, their mentor, their friend that they had seen on the cross two days earlier die could somehow have come back to life. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, don't be afraid. Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Finally, when the disciples see Jesus, everything becomes clear. Even in their fatigue, uh, they know what they know, what they know, that Jesus is alive because they see him right in front of their eyes and their lives would never be the same. They saw him die on the cross, the perfect sacrifice for sin, the innocent dying for the guilty, the scapegoat that had been a part of the Jewish culture sent out of town with the weight of sin laid upon him. When they saw Jesus alive, their despair was replaced by hope. Their fear replaced with joy. Their loss replaced with confidence and boldness. Their uncertainty with purpose. So what's the message for us on April 4th, 2021? As that unseen enemy continues to dominate the news and tries to envelop us with fear and isolation and fatigue. The words are this, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Look to him, look in his eyes and know that he is alive, that he has overcome that enemy. In the midst of your fatigue, no matter how worn out you feel, take courage in the reality that Jesus has risen from the dead. 
You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to pull yourself, drag yourself out of bed in the morning. You don't have to carry that burden of guilt. You don't have to carry the grief even of loss of people that you've lost in this last year because Jesus is alive. Am I really worn out? Only when I take my eyes off Jesus. The message of Easter is a message of hope and victory and life. It's a message of refreshment and renewal, of purpose that dwarfs a pandemic, of peace that creates a new perspective that's full of excitement and anticipation for what's in front of us. When your eyes shift from the enemy and the inconvenience and the pain and the suffering that the enemy has caused, and your gaze focuses instead on the risen Lord Jesus, there is a renewed energy that changes everything. The enemy who has robbed our energy and joy and security is not a virus. Jesus described the enemy as the one who came to steal and kill and destroy. And Satan did, and he does. He destroyed our savior on the cross, but he didn't anticipate that it would result in a victory that would change history and eternity forever. For us individually, as we live now and as we look to eternity. Do you know Jesus? Do you know so that you can run to him, so that you can see him, so that you can look him in the eye? Do you know Jesus? That's the question that matters most this morning. Not do you know about him, but do you know him? Max Lucado uh, shared a story a number of years ago that, that I, I just love, that I'd like to finish the message with this morning. This is, the, this is that story. Longing to leave her poor Brazilian neighborhood, Christina wanted to see the world. Discontent with a home, having only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stove, she dreamed of a better life in the city. One morning, she slipped away, breaking her mother's heart. Knowing what life on the streets would be like for her young, attractive daughter, Maria hurriedly packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in a photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse jammed full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus for Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that before were thought unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes, she went to them all. And at each place, she left her picture, taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth. And on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey 
back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face had aged and she was tired. Her broken eyes no longer danced with youth but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dreams had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet. Yet the little village was in too many ways too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned, and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and, and removed the small photo. Written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Stop running. Come home. Jesus has already done the work. Just, just trust him. And yet finding our way back to God is rarely easy or simple because we've been running from him for too long. Running has become our norm, it's become our pattern, it's become the way that we live our lives. And Satan doesn't want that to stop. He wants us trapped. He wants us tired. He wants us worn out. He did everything in his power to destroy Jesus. He'll do everything in his power to run us into the ground and to destroy us as well. But the one thing that he didn't anticipate that he never expected was that there was something that we could run towards and someone we could run to, an empty tomb and Jesus, our savior. A risen savior is why we can celebrate and why we can say Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Let's stand together.
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that Jesus is alive and that in him we have hope and power and energy. God, not because of anything we've done, but because of him, only him. We thank you that we can celebrate today and every day that Jesus is alive. In his name we pray, amen. Hey, look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. He's alive.